You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Well, I love my church, and I hope you do too. It's just a good year, a good thing to be here. Yes, it's good to love our church. We're going to uh, do a new series this year, and it's exciting because what we're going to do is we're going to go straight through the book of Colossians, and it's going to be fun. Over the next eight or so weeks, we're going to just go verse by verse, and we're going to look at what God's Word says and how applicable it is to our lives, but I just got to let you know, first of all, I love the church, and I love the people because we are the people. We make up the church. We are the ones. It's not a building. This building's convenient, but uh, we are the church. We are the people who make up the church right here. I love the concern that you as people and I uh, have for the world and for our community, but most of all, I love the head of the church, Jesus Christ. I love him most, that he's head of the, the big C church. It's why some of your outlines, you see the C is underlined. It's not just about one location or one place, but about the big C church. Last weekend, uh, while I was on video here, I was speaking at a church in the Central Valley and just seeing what God is doing in that area as well, just so encouraging just to see the Spirit of God moving uh, here in the Central Valley of California and a beautiful thing. I love the church because we are Jesus Christ's bride. It's kind of a weird idea. We're like uh, engaged. We're almost but not yet. We are engaged as his bride. We're waiting, but there is a day when he returns. There is a day when there is a marriage supper of the Lamb. There is a day that is a beautiful together awakening that happens with us and the Lord. And it's just a beautiful thing, but it's all about his kingdom. And we try to oftentimes make it about our kingdom. Uh, the church in Colossae, uh, where we get the book Colossians, had a lot of similar problems uh, to your life and to my life. And in fact, if we look, we're going to see the overriding theme verse from the book of Colossians. If you have your Bible and your outline, go ahead and take that out. You'll need both today from your program. And it would be a great week to bring your paper Bible, to bring your tablet, whatever you have the word on as we're going to go through the book of Colossians. But the theme of Colossians is not just about what's going on at that church. The theme of Colossians is the supremacy the preeminence of Jesus Christ, who he is. That's the theme of the book. And this theme comes to us a little bit later in the chapter than where we will look today. But it comes from Colossians 1, verse 15 and 16. It says this of Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all cre or over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. It is the supremacy of Christ, the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Now, Colossae is actually a modern town, a very small but modern town in modern-day Turkey. It's just a, a small town that's there. And Paul writes to this church, though he's never been there. Paul planted a church in Ephesus, and as that church grew in Ephesus, what happened was there was a guy there named Epaphras who was, came to know the Lord, and he then went on and planted this church as the gospel spread. In fact, Acts 19.10 describes the gospel, the good news of Jesus, spreading throughout the province of Asia and the news of the Lord. And as it did, churches would perk up, churches would grow, and they would have leadership, but Paul hadn't been to all of them. In fact, at this time, he's in prison. But he's hearing a report back from them. Epaphras has now come back to Paul, and he's brought a report about what's going on at the church, and, and they're facing some troubles. They're facing some things that are going on. Um, and Paul then writes back to them. They know who the apostle Paul is. They've just never met him. 
And he writes back to them, and you say, well, Dave, why? Why now should we study this book? Why would this apply to my life right now? It's because Colossae had some of the same problems that you're facing, that I'm facing, that our world is facing. The, the nature of the culture back then is like the nature of the culture right now in America. Let me give you some examples. Why study this book? Their society sounds just like ours. They had troubled marriages. We have troubled marriages. They have rebellious kids. We have rebellious kids. They had work and labor problems back then. We have work and labor problems in our country. They had people with really big opinions and really arrogant mouths. And we have people with really big opinions and really arrogant mouths who are very just independent. We have supposedly profound philosophers and ideologies. And, and, and like they did, we also have ideologies throughout our culture that are just, oh, everybody's thinking this way. And we all ought to jump on board. And this is how life ought to be done. And, and they're supposedly profound. They're supposedly philosophical. And yet they are not in line with the truth of Jesus Christ in the word and in the gospel. They've got religious mixes in Colossae of every kind. We have religious mixes of every kind. They have man-made religions. They have people who were worshiping angels. That was their whole religion. They had people seeing strange visions. They had astrology. They had this belief that if you could just tap into the, the power of the universe, then the universe is going to be for you. It's going to be in your favor. That they just believe that if I just believe in the, the universe, they weren't even attributing it to God, that he would be for you. They had ritualistic behavior. Listen to some of these. They had diets. They had ritualistic cleanses. They had laws about food and drink. It sounds like us, right? I mean, you think about it. Uh, how many of you, by the way, uh, just being honest, how many of you have thought about making a New Year's resolution? How many of you have thought, well, I don't want to do a resolution, but maybe the hip thing right now is just to think on some words that want to epitomize my year. Some of you have done that, right? You've thought about that. How many of you are awake in here? Come up with your hands. All right, there's a lot of sleepers. I see uh, about half hands, right? But this year, there are actually, I heard on the radio the other day that the top three New Year's resolutions in reverse order are this. Uh, number three, to save more and spend less, right? This seems to make sense. Like, I got to get my finances in order. I'm going to save more and I'm going to spend less. And the next one, number two, is to get organized. Get organized. You know, sometimes when life feels out of control and you get to the end of the year, you're like, okay, 2015 was out of control. I'm going to control things. So I'm going to get organized. We try to organize our life and our, our year. And then the number one thing is what? Lose weight. Absolutely, man, all that good baking at Christmas time and everything. I mean, just we come to the new year and we're like, I got to lose weight, right? Well, Paul is writing to Colossae because their church needed to lose some weight. They had taken on some of the ideology of the culture and they tried to blend it. They tried to syncretize it with the truth of the gospel. Uh, they had some practices that were out of control that needed to be organized. Uh, they needed to save more and spend less and be about the very things that they needed to be all about God's kingdom and not just about their own kingdom. And in the same way, Paul is writing to them. Let me, let me be honest with you. As the church, we are the bride of Christ. And your body is his temple, the New Testament teaches, which means God's Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of you. So you're a mini church, like this building is convenient, but because God's Holy Spirit comes into you, 
Peter describes it in the New Testament that you and I are like living stones. So like we've got tilt-up walls here. We've got windows, other things. It's like saying you're a tilt-up wall. You're, you're, not, you're not a building building like made of a dead stone. You're actually alive. And God is building his church, his big C church across the world. He's moving with the spread of the gospel in our region and other regions. And you're a part of that. You're a stone. You're a living stone. You are an organic, alive, moving part of the body of Christ. We don't have a temple in Jerusalem for God. You are a living temple because God's Holy Spirit indwells in you. So, so your life, let me just be honest, your life is like a mini church. And so your life has some problems. And your life may have adapted some philosophies and some ideas and, and brought them together and tried to blend them with your belief in Christ. And your life has also some good results, some great fruit, some good things going on. But your life would be like a living church. Churches are made up of people and people have problems. And if you think you found the perfect church, don't join it because the moment you do, you will corrupt it. <laughs> there is one perfect Christ. And we are his, we are his bride, we are imperfect, but because of him we are made perfect because of his sacrifice on the cross. However, the head of the church is Jesus Christ, and he is the single source of your salvation. And there are times in our lives we need saving. We need saving from our ideologies, we need saving from our behaviors, we need saving from our flesh, we need saving from our practices. But the first step of salvation is to understand that Jesus Christ is Lord and you are not. And that we begin as an act of the will to submit and give ourselves to him. There was a guy named John Seller. John uh, was a leading English historian who owned and read over 8,000 volumes in his library. Now, believe, this is back in the 1600s. They did not have Kindle. I mean, he had to store and have a library with actually like 8,000 books, and he actually read all of them. He was known as the preeminent English historian of his time, and when he got on his deathbed, when he was dying, he said this, I have surveyed most of the learning that is among humanity. Can you imagine? I have surveyed most of the learning that is among humanity, and my study is filled with books and many manuscripts and papers on various subjects, but I cannot recollect any passage out of all my books and all my papers whereon I can rest my soul, save for the scriptures and a verse like this. And then he quoted Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Paul wrote, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. To what kind of people? all people. It's offered to all. The question is, what will you and I do with that? Some of you say, I did something with that a long time ago. Today, we're going to look at what authentic faith looks like, and I don't want you just to assume, because you made a decision some time ago, that it's still holding true as you evaluate your life this morning. What I want you to do is evaluate, was my faith, my decision for faith, authentic? So the surest test for all these beliefs and all these behaviors, here the church at Colossae is adapting things from the world and dragging them in and it's compromising the gospel. So Epaphras says, I got to go to Paul and Paul's going to write a letter to help us get back on track. And my hope for you this new year is that God helps you get back on track, that God helps you lose some weight and get organized and begin to save more and spend less. So if you will, open your Bible with me to Colossians 
chapter 1, verse 1. Christ followers, by the way, who love Jesus Christ are those who love Jesus Christ with three things. Their head, their heart, and their will. And we're going to see those take place in the book of Colossians. Colossians 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Well, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. So Paul gives this introduction. Now you got to realize, Paul is writing from prison. He is in prison right now, being visited by Epaphras, giving a report about the church. Paul can't go visit them. He's in chains because of his boldness about the gospel. But while there, he begins to address the things based on the report he has heard that will quicken and help the church in Colossae get unstuck. And so there are three things that he affirms them for. Three beautiful things. The first one is this. He says this. They're saving faith in action on your outline. The first one is they encountered God. That's what you and I do. He said, listen, you heard the gospel, which means you heard it from someone who brought it to you, the good news that Jesus saves. You heard that and you understood it. So the first thing you did is then you submitted your will to him. I'm going to become a Christ follower. So he's affirming them right away. You have encountered God. Second thing he said is you grow through community. He said, you learned it from Epaphras. So what happens is you and I, we grow in community with other people. We rarely grow in isolation. We rarely grow alone. It's why we need a brotherhood. It's why we need a sisterhood around us to help us in our faith to grow. It's why we need time in God's word. We need time with the Lord. We need time with his community. It's why God has given us the church. They grow in community. They learned it from Epaphras, and he walks with them as, as one of their pastors. And third, he said, you live your calling. He said in verse 6 that having heard this word and put your faith there, it's bearing fruit. In other words, he's saying as you're doing these things, there are results because of what you've believed in your head and how you're growing with one another. There now are actual results in your world. It's not just lip service. It's not just saying I have faith. I just don't have any do. I just have faith. He's saying that you're actually bearing fruit. So Paul is right away, as he's writing the beginning of this letter, just applauding them. He's praising them for their faith in Christ, their love for others, and their hope of heaven, which is a beautiful thing because they're believing in Christ, they're loving one another, and they have hope in heaven. Remember, we've just talked about a city of David where inheritance is kept for you that will never perish or spoil or fade. The kingdom of God is a beautiful thing, and Paul is addressing that right here. He goes on in verse 9 and says this. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Now I have to take a really big breath here because Paul writes in carry-on sentences. Doesn't know the meaning of a period, so I got I to amp up for this. He says this. 
We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. <sighs> holy cow, Paul, slow down. What are you doing? The guy is verbose, right? But we have to unpack this and say, what is he actually talking about here? Is, is he just kind of doing this religious talk, this, this high and holy kind of, you know, what is he doing here? No, Paul is being very specific. He's being very specific with these people. He's saying, listen, what are the results, as he outlines this, he's, saying, he's showing us what the results are of being spirit-filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, here's what that looks like. When you accept Christ, you become spirit-filled. That God's Holy Spirit indwells you. You are the church. You are a walking worship service. When you leave this room, church isn't over. It goes with you. It's on the inside, and you are a walking worship service. It doesn't mean that you sing all the time. It means that you have a hope for heaven. It means that you love other people and that your faith is in action. So you're a walking worship service. But he's saying, what are the results of being spirit-filled? Listen, with, filled with the knowledge of his will. we got to know what God's will is and how to walk in it. So let's unpack this a little bit together. You've got some fill-in-the-blanks, and we'll take them one at a time. First thing he prays this is that you and I would have spiritual wisdom and knowledge. The word there is really understanding. We would say it as understanding. There's two words in the Greek for to know. One is oida, and that means you, you just know something. It's knowledge. And, and that means this, like uh, you're a parent and you tell your kid, do not touch the burning hot stove because it will burn your hand. And the kid goes, I know not to touch the stove because it will burn my hand. And then there's another word that's listed right there on your sheet, and it's called epigenosis. Gnosis means to know through direct personal experience, and epigenosis means that like your knowledge is so sufficient that it burns all the way through you. Has your knowledge of God not just stayed in your head, but it is burned through your heart. It's making itself out through your actions and your will. The difference is, I know the stove is going to burn me versus the little kid who goes up and touches the wood-burning stove. That kid has epigenosis, right? Because now it's burned all the way through him. It's, he knows through direct personal experience the knowledge. It, well, before it was oida, but now it's epigenosis. And he's saying, listen, the, the spirit-filled person with the knowledge of his will, he's praying that you would have spiritual wisdom and that you would have the kind of knowledge that burns all the way through you, the kind of understanding that makes its way out in your life. And let me just kind of explain this. Verse 9, let me put it into Dave terms. Verse 9 is like, hey, 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 people, listen up. Get your head together. Because if you get your head together, then in verse 10, we can understand what it looks like to live a life worthy of the Lord. If I can change my thinking, I can change my behaving. And this was in a culture where the aesthetics people would say, listen, there's a lot of um, stuff going on. The Gnostics would, at that time and in that day, they would elevate they would say either the flesh means nothing and it's all about the mind, it's all about the mind, and then they wouldn't ever act out what they knew in their mind in their world. And then there are other people who said it's all about the pleasures and experiences in the flesh and just live for the now and live for the moment. And in our culture, we have both. And Paul's saying, well, time out, time out. Let's get your head together 
and then it will result in right living in the Lord. Right? That's what happens when you and I make a decision or make a resolution, right? We're trying to, to change our thinking about food or finances or organization. Because if we can change our thinking about food, then, then we have a chance at changing our action. So Paul is saying, first of all, I want you to have spiritual wisdom and understand this is his prayer for them. He's saying, if I could pray anything for you, what would I be praying? And his prayer for them is that they would have spiritual wisdom and understanding. Second, living a life worthy of the Lord. And then third, pleasing God in every way. Pleasing God in every way. This is the difference. We live in a very independent culture, much like Colossae was. And they were used to living as I please. That was their motto. It's just as I please. I can have a head knowledge, but when it comes to how I live, I can just do what I please. I reserve the right to say no. I reserve the right to live as I please. We live in a country that we fight for opinion. We fight for freedom of speech. We live in a country that also right now is just saying, no, the freedom of speech is subject to the, the belief of the majority. And Paul is saying, when you live with spiritual wisdom and understanding, the results are not just going to be opinion. The results are going to be living a life worthy of the Lord. And you're going to begin, time and again, to be pleasing God in every way. The question is, and let me just take inventory for you here real quick. Are you living as you please or as God pleases? Has your knowledge of the will of God been strictly uh, the Bible says that, but I'm going to do what I want or what I please. We need to let God speak for himself. And Paul begins to pray that. Then he says this. Here's the benefit of living as God pleases, right? We begin bearing fruit in every good work. This was an agricultural society. Their word for fruit in our world means results. What's your return on the investment, right? Right? So what happens is when you and I begin to have spiritual wisdom and understanding and an epigenosis that burns all the way through us, we begin to realize that, wow, there is such wisdom in godly living. And I mean, to begin to act that out, and as you act that out, you begin to bear fruit. There is results in every good work. So not only do you start doing good works, but you begin to see that the good works, the results of them are beyond you, that it truly is God's Holy Spirit working in you and through you. And he begins doing things that are greater than you thought you could do. So often in scripture you see God coming to the person who's the least of these. They say, who am I? Who am I to lead the nation of Israel? Who am I to go do this? Who am I to go do that? And, and God is going, I'm picking you because it's my work in and through you. I'm just asking you to participate with me. So Paul is praying that you and I would be spirit-filled people filled with faith and hope and love. He says, go on, and he says this, that the result of that then is that we are growing in knowing God back. He said growing in knowing God, but really the point is God knows us. He knows you and I. He knows everything about you, your entire life, all the experiences you've been through. God knows you intimately and dearly. He loves you, and he knows the good, bad, and the ugly. And our role is not to know about God. It's to know God back. God, you know me, but now I'm going to be working to know you for who you say you are. God, my job is to know you back. You know all about me. And part of my growing in knowledge of the Lord is understanding your will and obeying your will and walking with you. And that's what Paul is praying for them. 
And then he says, you and I will be strengthened with all God's mighty power to patiently endure. I want you to catch this because sometimes you might think the Christian life should be easy. It's not. It is not easy. You're going to have to learn how to patiently endure. Life has its share of ups and downs. It is hard to grow at times. Life is relentless, but here's what you know. God is good. And you and I are going to have to patiently endure that there is a day coming when you and I will see him face to face. There is a day when he returns and we will bow down and we will worship him in every knee and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That day will happen, but until then, we got the centrifugal force of the world, right? It's spinning, and, and it wants to pull you and I away from following the Lord and following the truth and, and begin to blend the ideologies of our culture with our practice and our behavior as believers. And Paul is calling us out of that, that you and I would be strengthened to endure. Let me ask you a question. Are you in it with Christ all the way to the end? Are you in it with Jesus Christ to the very end? Are you in it? Because to make that, you're going to have to learn to be strengthened by his power and to patiently endure. How are we going to make it when we know our own weaknesses? How are we going to make it? We've got to know him and let the knowledge of his will burn all the way through us. We'll be strengthened with his power and we'll patiently endure. And then the beautiful thing is we joyfully give thanks to God. We're giving joyful thanks to God. Why? Because he's doing it. He's in it. He's doing what he wants in and through your life. It's a beautiful thing. So he, he prays this prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. And, but then he gives a reason why. why. Why should he pray this prayer? And Colossians 1.13 says this, speaking of the preeminence of Christ, for he, Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the what? The kingdom of light, of the son that he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It is such a beautiful thing. He's just saying, listen, this is God. He bought you back. It cost him a price. It came at the shedding of his blood, the giving of his body. And here on the first day of the first of the year, the first Sunday, first day of the week, first Sunday of the year, we remember through communion today the Lord's Supper. We remember his sacrifice for us. He bought us and it cost him dearly. But praise be to God that he conquered the grave. He rose to new life. He is God Almighty. He is the preeminent son of the living God, God himself, God become flesh, God who sends his Holy Spirit to you and to me. He's bought us back. He's redeemed us and given the forgiveness of sins. So we talked about, even during the Christmas season, that Jesus is the light of the world. Well, the light of the world came, and the light overpowered the darkness, and the light overcame the darkness, and he brought us out of that into the kingdom. And I want to just time out right there. Sometimes you, some of you think, well, someday we'll get to the kingdom of God, someday like in heaven. But I want you to understand that Jesus didn't just buy you for someday, he bought you for right now. That he loves you right now, right where here you are. And he's brought you into his kingdom right now. In fact, he, by coming to earth, brought the kingdom of God to earth. But when he left, he instituted the church to carry out the work of the kingdom of God. You and I are a mini temple of the living God. And we carry out the work of his kingdom right here, right now. 
You were brought right now into his forever kingdom, his forever family. So the light of the world has purchased us through his death on the cross and by forgiving our sin. That is the good news. And many of you are saying, I know that good news. That, that's good news. I made a decision on that good news at some point. But I, I want you to understand saving faith. Because I think in our culture, we water down saving faith sometimes. And I want you to understand, and I put it there in your outline, so it's right there in front of you. Saving faith always involves three things. And Paul's going to address in the course of this book these three things time and again. Number one, it involves the mind. And the mind is, I understand the truth of Jesus' rescue of me. I understand that he did what he did because he was doing it to rescue me, not just because he was some person in history. I understand that. Second thing is our heart, that I feel the conviction of my sin. We looked at 1 John when it said, hey, if you say that you don't have any sin, that sin isn't in you, you make God out to be a liar because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so what happens is, no, now we understand God, God rescued me. I understand that cognitively in my mind, but now my heart feels the conviction that I need rescue from my sin that I am a sinful person, that I was both born into sin and I've grown up in sin and I need the rescue of Jesus. And then third, the will. And this is where I exercise my will to commit to Jesus Christ. So what I've understood in my head and I feel the conviction of my heart, I've got to do something with that. I've got to do something with that. God's done all the work to save me, but I still have to receive his gift. I need to take that step it's like he's hit the home run. He's run around all the bases. He's made every step except for that. The last step. And the last step is because he gave you and I free will. And we need to choose. I exercise my will to commit to Jesus Christ. I will become a Christ follower. Now listen, only when all three of these happen is the saving process faith. Only at that time. You could sit in church for 14 years every weekend and not give your life to Christ. And then the day comes where you finally say, today is the day, it's the act of my will, and I give my life to Christ. And you might look at the last 10 years since you've done that and say, what took me so long? But in the last 10 years, you've come alive spiritually. The Spirit of God has come into your heart, and you're beginning to understand deeply in your life His will, and you're walking out, and you're seeing results and fruit in your life. But maybe for the first 14 years of your church attendance, you listened, but you did not take a step of faith. So let me ask. In all your learning, in all the YouTube videos you've watched, in all the links to everything else, in all the social media, in all the diets, in all the books, in all the resolutions, in all your knowledge, in all your education, is there any lecture, is there any video, is there any philosophy, any quote, or any memory upon which you can rest your soul? Because Paul said it this way, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son whom he loves, in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do me a favor. Will you just bow your heads and close your eyes just to reflect on your own life just for a moment? Some of you in this room, you're saying, I made a decision for Christ, but what I want you to realize is that every time you and I take communion, that we take the Lord's Supper, we are called 
to make sure that we recognize the body and the blood of the Lord. What does that mean? We recognize not only did he give an actual his body and his blood for our sin, but do we recognize that we are the church? We're part of the body of Christ. And maybe we've compartmentalized and it's been a head knowledge. Maybe we say, I do, I love Jesus. But your life shows that you don't. Because you know deep down you've never taken that step of the will to decide to be a Christ follower. And you might have sat in this church for 25 years or for 25 minutes and maybe today is the day that you choose to follow Jesus. If that's you, if today is the day that you want to ask God for the forgiveness of your sins, you want to receive his gift of eternal life, you want your sins to be washed away, then you pray a prayer right where you're seated. God hears you right there in that seat. You pray a prayer like this right after me. Jesus, today I give you me. And I ask you to come into my heart. Make me a new creation. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I admit my sins. I believe you died and were buried in the ground. That you rose to new life because you were God. And so today, Jesus... I take a step of my will, and I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.